the Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and UpRocks.com. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. Today we're going to be talking about The Division Bell, a Pink Floyd record from 1994. I guess you could call it their last studio record, although there was technically another album after it that came out three or four years ago. But really, this is like the last Pink Floyd record. Most people consider it one of the worst Pink Floyd records, but in this episode... I'm going to be taking a different position than you might expect. It's part of a new series that we're going to be doing semi-regularly on this podcast called Contrarian's Canon. And you might remember about a month ago we did an episode on DC Talk, Jesus Freak, with Riley Walker, uh, who's a great indie rock, folk rock guitarist. He put out a record earlier this year called Deaf Men's Glance. You may also know him from Twitter. He's a very funny guy, a very smart guy. And I think he's sort of like a music critic in the guise of a musician (laughs) in some ways. I mean, he's a great musician, but he also has a mind like a music critic. So I like talking about music with him. And we talked about DC Talk, Jesus Freak last month. And now we're going to be talking about The Division Bell by Pink Floyd from 1994, a record that we both love, but maybe it's not that well considered in the general populace. So in this series, Riley and I are going to be sort of looking at records like this that we both like that maybe a lot of other people don't like, and we're going to make a case for them being reevaluated. Hence the contrarian's canon aspect of this semi-regular series that we're going to be doing. So Riley was actually here in Minneapolis I guess about a week ago, he played a show, and it was phenomenal, by the way. You should see Riley Walker live. It's pretty jammy, sort of like an indie rock Grateful Dead type vibe. But anyway, we hung up before the show and drank some whiskey, and we talked about Pink Floyd. We talked about the battles between Roger Waters and David Gilmour. We we talked about how the sort of non-Roger Waters records which are Momentary Lapse of Reason and, and The Division Bell, are sort of underrated, or at least The Division Bell is underrated. We had a really fun conversation about it. I mean, to be honest, there aren't that many things I like to do more than to hang out, drink whiskey, and talk about Pink Floyd. So hopefully that comes across in this conversation. So here's me and Riley Walker talking about Pink Floyd here on the Celebration Rock Podcast. Well, I just want to thank you for letting me hang out with you because in my experience, like most musicians they don't let you hang out before the show it's always like after the show like you and um trying to think of there's like one other person i think that actually let me hang out before the show i don't know if it's like musicians you have to get psyched up or you're worried about your voice oh no we don't worry in this band number one rule is have fun and don't worry actually there is a rule in the van that the guitarist brian invented he says no matter how late we are to the show it's going to be fine (laughs) that's kind of his so we stop a lot you know and eat a lot so one of those bands that loves to stop and piss it's just better to i mean for me selfishly like as a as the concert goer it's more fun to go before the show i think also you you always want that option to sneak out Mm -hmm. if it gets too late oh sure sure. if you have and if you're committed to uh going after the show 
you just got to hang in there forever. Oh, yeah, you're in, and then the sun comes up, and you're just like, oh, boy, well, I guess, you know, AT&T isn't going to get my check this month. <laughs> uh, it's fun to talk to you about this in person. I mean, we did the DC Talk podcast. That was a big hit, by the way. I don't know. Yeah. Did you get, did you get, I got a lot of feedback from that. Oh, tons of love, tons of love. A lot of like uh, a lot of people came out of the woodwork and said that they were big fans of DC Talk and they're fascinated. Yeah, I feel like uh, that's okay. You know, this is sort of like part. Someone just walked in while we're doing this. This is part of like the audio verite aspect of this episode. I feel like you know the listener at home they're going to imagine us backstage. You know, we're yeah. There's we're, cocaine everywhere. Exactly. We're just in piles of it right now. We're both getting massaged by yeah, you know absolutely. topless. Oh, hey, People. Keith Richards. Yeah, yeah, hey. Yeah, Keith, yeah, he's busy right now, but love the guy. Actually, it's, it, it's like you and me and your drummer's on his, on his laptop. Yeah, Ryan. And, and uh, we're drinking whiskey out of plastic cups. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome, though. I, normally, I'd just be doing this at home, listening to Pink Floyd and drinking whiskey by myself, so it's kind of fun. Now you're mobile. you got the mobile unit. So I'm excited to talk to you about The Division Bell. I feel like we've DM'd about this album a lot. Yeah, of course. In the past few months. And I don't know, at some point we realized that like, this is like a really maligned Pink Floyd record. I feel like if someone did an official list, this would be listed like among the worst Pink Floyd records. And yet you and I both love it and would actually rank it really high on our personal lists of, of Floyd records, right? I mean, like, cause I was saying like, I, I said this to you the other day, I feel like I would rank this above maybe any pre-metal record. I would agree with you. I listen, there's different camps of Pink Floyd fans. You know, there's like my dad who knows, you know, Wish You Were Here and Dark Side and loves the big mysticism and sweeping guitar solos and stadium sort of energy that they could provide and the bond that his friends and my mom's friends all had growing up around that music on the radio. There's that camp, yeah. which is like respect to our generation. You know, we got, we had Floyd, Zeppelin, right. you know, fucking fog hat we had the biggest <laughs> rock bands and you damn kids will never understand what it was like to rock as hard as us right it's that camp and then there's the camp where i was part of at one point where i was just like you know and i admire sid barrett and i admire piper at the gates of dawn i don't think it's for me at this point in my life but you know when i was 18 years old i was like i'm breaking free from the parents camp of pink floyd right you know well like when i was a kid like when i was a teenager that was or like a college student really sid barrett was where it was at yeah. And like it wasn't cool to like the stadium rock Floyd. Absolutely. And that was like lame lame city. And I kinda went along with that for a while. And I still love Sid Bear. I like Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Sure. But I think I was always like a closet stadium yeah, rock man. Pink and Floyd. I think Sid Barrett and that sort of those early Floyd records and you know, everything kind of the first couple things he was on. Like, Australian of Mine is just such a psychedelic blast, and it's almost like my dad would not enjoy that song, even though he claims to be the biggest Pink Floyd fan. Yeah. You know, my dad, if I played Piper the Good Songs, he'd be like, this is Pink Floyd? Like, right. I, you know, because <laughs> even though Pink Floyd's one of the biggest bands of all time, because every Zeppelin record, you know, it's funny, you go one, two, three, four, and on and on, whatever. Every fan, big and small of Zeppelin, like, knows those records and is aware of their whole discography. And there's a whole generation of people, and I'm just, you know, this is... You know, obviously a personal anecdote from my own family. That's what we're, that's what we're here for. Yeah, absolutely. Drop you know, the and personal there's, anecdotes. There's a, a huge generation of Pink Floyd fans who claim to be the biggest fans. Not that they're wrong or anything, but you know they probably don't know Piper at the Gates of Dawn or 
a magama or any of the sort of like weird explorations they were making early in their career before they had a trillion dollars, you know, and they just wanted to fuck shit up. <laughs> so yeah, listening to Sid Barrett was definitely a defiance against like, oh, that's the normal Pink Floyd fan, you know, that's the that's the Pepsi drinker. I'm going full Fago over here, you know, I'm going far <laughs> out with Sid Barrett. He's one of us. Sid Barrett's one of me, a young a kid who just wants to get fucked up and trip an ass and obviously the mysticism of him was huge right well yeah just the mythology of him and really, just like to do a, like a quick overview you have like the Sid Barrett era which is Piper at the Gates of Dawn and I guess Saucer Full of Secrets he's sort of still around yeah, yeah. at that point but after that he drops out and then they have this kind of weird middle period where David Gilmour joins but they still don't totally know who they are you know they're doing Adam Hart Mother the 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 Umaguma record, um, they do the uh, was that more that soundtrack yeah, record the soundtrack obscured by clouds yeah which is kind of cool there's some cool those stuff those are in all like there. cult records amongst Floyd fans you know they're like not the best but they're they're cult like records so people be like oh man more like the Nile song is so rocking people say that's like the beginning of hard rock it was the Nile song right right I was living by the Nile that song rips. But, you know, it's mostly kind of, there's a lot of dingers on those records, and they're still trying to get their feet, you know, just trying to find them. But it's kind of a good credibility move to say you love Adam Hartmother or something. Oh, yeah. The that's, mo- like, if you put that in your top five Floyd records That's or the blow a cigarette smoke out and say, <laughs> actually, Adam Hartmother is my favorite. Like Fat Old Son, isn't that? Oh, that yeah, record? hey, that's a banger, man. That's a good song. Um, but then, it's sort of agreed that, like, metal is the beginning of their sort of golden era or like their most successful era although I don't know if you said this on Twitter you got but the thing about metal I feel like that record is slightly overrated because aside from Echoes and Fearless which are undeniably great some of their best there's there's some clunkers on that record total dingers you don't really need the rest of it you need Fearless and Echoes those songs are indispensable the rest I think people kind of gloss over them because those two other... The A-side is a dud, except for Fearless. And I've, like, I had friends who just, that's their favorite record of all time. I'm like, it's a, I mean, it's a great record. I love metal. And obviously you mentioned Echoes and Fearless, which are two, I think Echoes is the best thing they ever did. It's probably my favorite song of all time. Right. It's fucking perfect. You know, there's, like, total, de- like, one of these days, like, the voice, I'm like, oh, one oh of that's these right. days, I'm just, like... One I, of these days is on a record, too, so you gotta, you gotta put that in. I mean, the but grade. there's, like, that one song, I'm blanking right now, but it has, like, a dog barking in the background the whole time. Well, I think they let each member write a song on side A. There's dingers on there. Right and, now. like, the Roger Waters song is great. I think Roger Waters was, like, one of these days. Gilmore was fearless. And then, like, Mason and Wright, like, their songs are kind of, like, eh. And then you have Echoes on the... Uh, on the side B, the, the 23 minute oh, it's perfect. excursion, and that's sort of set in the stage for Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, absolutely. With that. And then, of course, we have Dark Side through the wall. Don't really need to cover those records. The bangers, the all time classics. Which, by the way, like. Which are you, underrated at this point, man. Wait, what, what? Out of those four, like, what would, wait, what's your number one, would you say? Uh, animals. Really? Yeah, I love animals. That's the big one. That, I guess that, on a personal level, that was. Me at 15, getting high for the first time sort of record. As far as like the best one, I mean, it's Dark Side of the Moon. That, that Everything about that record is perfect. Yeah. It's just a, it's the production of it's amazing. The scope and the scale of it is huge. There's never been a bigger record, right. you know, that I've heard. It's just, it's fascinating. And it, I think it's kind of, you know, at this point, especially in the internet where people dig on the gems more, I think 
records like that are strangely becoming underrated, even though they're one of the biggest selling albums of all time. People would be like, I don't fucking listen to that. That's you know, the one my dad likes. Right. You know, as I grow in old age in this life and become less of a curmudgeon, I, I learned that, like, oh, actually, my dad had a pretty cool taste in records. Well, know? I think there's also a thing, too, that happens where people get sick of talking about certain records. It's yeah, like, I mean, it's... I don't want to hear about Dark Side. I don't want to hear about Pet Sounds or XL on Main Street. You don't have to. Man. So then you can, like... There's no well, new perspective. Exactly. You don't have to talk about them, but they're still great. Yeah, You know, pe- there's, just, there's just this instinct to be like, well... Instead of listening to that, instead of listening to Pet Sounds, listen to the Beach Boys Love You. Like, the Beach Boys Love You is, like, the best oh, Beach yeah. Boys album, which yeah. I love that album, but, yeah, like, no. that's that's not true, really. Um, my favorite is, is The Wall. Yeah, The Wall rules, and that's the one I would probably... I mean, obviously, it's amazing. That's the one I would put at the bottom of my list, just because I think I simply over-listened to it. And Waters, love the guy, not my favorite member, you know? Well, his, his, his attitude comes across too hard. And I'm really into, like, the inner band uh, hatred at that point you know and <laughs> right. it's just him like fuck you, you well know? and like in this 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 will lead to the division bell eventually but like part of the thing one of the things I love about the wall is that I feel like on that record you can really hear Waters and Gilmore complimenting each other like in a very obvious way right. like like on a song like Comfortably Numb where like the lyrics are awesome yeah and then the music is amazing and you just see what each person brought to the table. Because the, the thing about like the, the Roger Waters, David Gilmore dynamic is that I feel like more than any other partnership, they needed each other more than anyone else I could think of. Like, like just in terms of perfectly complimenting each other's weaknesses mm-hmm. and being like, Gilmore, not a great lyricist, but an amazing sort of musical mind guitarist and like able to come with great melodies. You can melodies. really like paint a picture with the guitar on those sorts of records. And this is, I'm not even stoned right now saying that, you know? <laughs> it's like he can really just paint a beautiful scenery with his... Like, but he can't really put a sentence together. He nah, can't write can't. a lyric. He's got, some so. he's got some real dingers. So, okay, so then we get into the 80s and, you know, you get to the final cut. This which, is a, The final cut's important to the making of, which, the vision bell, you know? Because yeah. the final cut is like the last straw between Gilmore and Waters, you know? Shit is going way wrong. And I love the final cut. That's that's a whole other pod right there. I love the final. <laughs> that's like, that's the one where you can, you know, I've sat in bars many a night just like debating people like the final cut is a piece of shit. And that's my favorite Waters sort of thing. That's where I think it was awesome. It's such a, that's the first time Pink Floyd just kind of dropped the stadium act. Right. You know, and they were just like, we have everything we could ever need. We're very wealthy people. We've conquered the world. Like, let's just make a fucked up dark record. That is just like insanely far out, and or Roger Waters decided that anyway. Roger, I think, Waters I think Gilmore would have been like, "Hey, let's just have majestic guitar yeah, solos." Yeah, just rip right now, you know. <laughs> and then eventually, you know, the, that pair just fell out, and then you have a bit of absence. You have momentary lapse of reason, which you know Waters is out at that point. Well, I want to go back because you know, like you say, Final Cut, basically a Roger Waters solo yes, record, basically, and. He makes, you know, they make that record, and then he makes pros and cons of hitchhiking and radio chaos. And then, meanwhile, is Gilmore, Rick Wright? Rick Wright's not on Final Cut. No, and he's barely on. Uh, I was gonna say he's barely on the wall. I think yeah, too. Yeah, barely on the wall. Yeah. Um, but Roger Waters starts making these solo records in the '80s. Gilmore puts out his first solo record in '78, and another one about face in '84. And Kind of going back to the, that idea on the wall of them complimenting each other, 
those solo records to me are so interesting because you could totally hear, okay, not much musically going on on the Roger Waters records. Yeah. Gilmore has just kick-ass music. Like, but like we were saying yeah. before we started, About Face could have totally just been a fake Pink Floyd records, but there's like nothing going on really lyrically on, on those records. Like there's, oh, no. there's no concept. There's no, 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 it's just, it's rock and roll. Like it's just like rock hits that he wanted to make. At and, the time. And yeah. It's, I was listening cause I was listening to about face on the drive over here and I was like, man, a lot of this just sounds like dire straits. It sounds like brothers in arms yeah, before brothers in arms came out. Jane, they get a bit Jane there. Yeah. <laughs> but I was, brutal. and I mean that as a compliment, like it was sort of just, uh, like, pretty prominent Hammond organ and him just writing these sort of heartland rock type jams you know yeah. with like awesome David Gilmore guitar solos and yeah I have no idea what he's talking about in any of the songs and I don't care because I just love the music so much and then, then you go to the Waters records and it's like they don't really engage you if you just listen to the record but then you listen to it while looking at the lyric sheet and you're like like pros and cons of hitchhiking, especially. He's the, got depth, man. Yeah, and the narrative on that record—it's yeah. like a dream sequence in a dream sequence, and he's like talking about marriage and stuff. It's like kind of deep. It's like you know, it, yeah, it's I mean, not it's, like a metaphysical thing. It's sort of like everyday life that he's talking about on that record. And yeah, it's like you know, the enemy was kind of rising in you know American politics at the time and UK politics. You know, I think everybody was pretty pissed off. Much like today, I guess. So I think you know he always has great themes of sort of like, oh shit, the oncoming doom of the world. Yeah, he's really good at like writing that out and painting that picture. I agree with you absolutely. But like, I just do you know that song "Murder" on uh, "About Face" that David Gilmore? Yes, I haven't thought of that in a long time actually. And I've I've said this to you many times, jokingly, but seriously, you should cover "Murder" by David Gilmore. I oh yeah, that. absolutely. I mean, it's a classic, man, and that's it's not a, a joke. There's no joking about that. It's a great song, but I'm just like, oh man, like, what if Roger Waters wrote the lyrics to this song? Like, right? You know, yeah, like, it's such a better song. <laughs> because I just, there's so many songs on like "About Face" where I'm like, oh man, like, if this just had different lyrics to be absolutely it would just it's like this is like i'm enjoying this anyway but it would just take it to the next level and also you know like on the roger waters record it's like oh this just had some because he hired eric clapton to play on pros and cons of hitchhiking yeah there was some, and, and david gilmore was like hanging out with like john martin at the time too and phil collins there was just all this weird like yeah. everybody had been like their bands had kind of fallen apart, they were no longer like kind of relevant to the new scene, or they're kind of being started to see as dinosaurs. And they all kind of came together, like, <laughs> guys, we gotta, we gotta get out of this, man. The kids, they don't think we're cool no more. <laughs> right. They got the talking heads, the Ramones now, you know. Right, right. So like, I find that fascinating. The whole '60s, '70s counterculture just started to become kind of like, oh, okay, dad. You know? And then we're like, they're wearing khakis and yeah, you know, and blazers. Like, you know, the receding hairlines are starting to come through. It's starting to get real bad for these guys, you know. Well, and then, you know, and you mentioned this, like, momentary lapse of reason comes out in 87. First Floyd record without Roger Waters. Huge hit. They do, like, I think a three-year stadium tour. Massive, and, yeah. Massive tour. And that's, again, like, Gilmore fully in charge. You see the live videos. He definitely has like the Miami Vice. Richard, uh, what was it? Roger Waters on record saying, just being pissed off at them the whole time. Like in interviews, trashing them, saying like, "I don't get this music. Like, I don't know why they're using the name Pink." Well, Floyd. and saying like on record, and basically saying like, "You have stolen, you know, my band, and like I am the guiding force Absolutely. of this band." And meanwhile, Gilmore's like, "Well, 
motherfucker, there's like 50,000 people coming to see me. They don't give a shit about you. Exactly. And he's like, scoreboard. It's basically just pointing at the scoreboard saying, like, look, look, son, you're defeated. You're playing Radio Chaos, you know, that album. No one's showing up. Oh, no, that's a terrible record, too. It's like, a, <laughs> yes. you know, go to any record store, it's a dollar for three of them. Right. <laughs> and they were, like, losing money. I mean, this is another thing. They were losing money on the wall, on the tour, because right. the, the production was so big. They're just like, it was a big money thing, you know? It's crazy, you know, a band. And that wasn't like, even, a, like, a real tour. I think they only did, like, certain cities. Yeah, the record sold a billion copies, and they, they all lost money on it personally. You know? Right. So everybody was just like, what is this band doing? How do we fuck this up? I mean, I don't think they had done a proper tour since Animals. Right? No. And then, so there's, like, a 10-year gap. So the market's primed for Floyd. And we then, need a baby. And drum roll up. <laughs> Give us our big old intro, baby. We're coming. And... Um, momentary lapse of reason. I that's not a good record. I don't think there's some good songs on there here on and the there. Turning away is gorgeous. The rest, the other records or the other songs are like one slip. I kind of like that song. On the turning away, like that's a that's a classic Floyd song if you ask me. But they were kind of trying to sound 80s on that record. I feel like oh or, the production's terrible. Like oh, the whole gated everything. It just the drums sound like Phil Collins. You know, right? Like, doom doom. Like just. Right in the front of the mix, it sounds like they're trying to make, you know, the gates of heaven hear their fucking drum roll. <laughs> Which, you know, Phil Collins does well, but, you know, that's not really amazing look. Well, and, like, I just, I love, like, the liner notes of that record. I don't know if you've, like, seen, like, the photos on the, in, in the, on the interior where it's sort of, like, there's a bunch of photos of, of Nick Mason and uh, David Gilmore, like, sort of doing, like, glamour shot type poses because you know like Pink Floyd they never put photos of themselves in any of their never, albums I, I, I think so. like Uma Guma they're on the cover yeah but that's am I saying like that right by the way am I saying yeah. that right no yeah they're like it's like that mirrored image like image and an image image yeah. like a, but, I'm, but I'm, am I saying the album title right I always feel you like say Uma Guma yeah I say Amagama Amagama potato potato of psychedelic uh, concept records man but anyway I just, I just thought it was hilarious that you know there's this huge controversy about like whether this is like legitimately Pink Floyd and then like Nick Mason and David Gilmore, just the troll Roger Waters. We're like, like we're not only going to put like one portrait of ourselves, we're going to put like a couple portraits of ourselves and like, you know, putting, you know, like their hands on their, like their head on their hands, yeah, like, like ain't I a stinker? Bruce guy, Bruce Springsteen guy's doing it. Why can't we? He's got hits right now. He's the biggest guy in the world. So, okay, this is a long preamble to get to the record we want to talk about, which is the Division Bell. And yes. I feel like, you know, Momentary Less of Reason doesn't have a great reputation. And Division Bell, I think, gets lumped into that because of, you know, people just assume, well, both Roger Waters, post-Roger Waters records aren't any good. And it's the 90s. And it's the 90s. And I remember at the time, like, I was a teenager and I was getting into Pink Floyd and I was sort of, I had, you know, I would have, Pink Floyd played Camp Randall Stadium in Madison on the Division Bell tour. So, like, I could have gone to see them and, like, I didn't because I was, you know, a snob. Oh, nice. And that's like one of the big regrets of my life because that was, was like my one chance. Amongst Division Builder came out? Well, yeah, because, you know, I was reading rock books and, and rock magazines and, yeah. you know, Roger Waters wasn't there. Yeah. So it's like, well, Where this isn't really. Like Perry Como or something. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is just, you know, Nostalgia Tour. It's, it's not really Pink Floyd. Um, but, man, when you revisit the Division Bell now, um, it totally holds up. And I know for me, like, I think part of changing my mind about it, I don't know how you feel, but 
I think now I just sort of think of it as like a David Gilmour solo record that is called Pink Floyd and yeah. like has Rick Wright on it actually playing a big, pretty big party he has yeah, he like came back around after he was kind of canned for most of the last and he has years. like five co-writes on that record which is like sings on uh, what's the tune he sings it's uh, it's the song it's like inside In, inside out of the wearing the inside out Wearing the inside, and it's, that's the best song on the record. I, I was gonna say, like, his voice is great. He's because he, he used to sing back in the day, like, on a Strange to Mind and stuff, and like a bunch of early, early shit where he's like losing his fucking mind, but it's like beautiful choral voice. Well, what knocked me out about that song, too, I realized at one point that. Sorry, I'm burping here. It's we're okay. Just, we're we're, 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 we're taking There's nothing else to do here except get lit. Yeah, good man. Um, the other day, I realized that, like, do you listen to that <laughs> band Air? Of course. The French band. Like, he invented air on that song. Because it oh, it totally shit. has air-sounding vocals. Because it's sort of this, like, robotic monotone. And there's, like, um, was it Dick Perry playing, like, very sultry saxophone it's, on it? It's a big, yeah, Dick Perry's it, back, the sax player. And it's sort of jazzy a little bit. And it just sounds like that 10,000 Hertz record that yeah, came we out. We were just talking about that in the van the other day. And, and that's them doing Pink Floyd sort of consciously, but it's and like... And we were listening to Beck Sea Change, and then I put that, and I put uh, Division Bell on after, and it's just like this airy sort of like monotone, like just rolling, 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 no peaks, no valleys, just yeah. like right here the whole time. Like, they kind of started that on that record, man. Yeah. I think Division Bell doesn't get its fucking due. Yeah, inside... I sincerely believe that. I'm definitely going to throw that out. I think Wearing the Inside Out, Rick Wright invented air two years before... Well, wait, that's four years before Moon Safari came out. So Absolutely, yeah. Those French dudes have to... Uh, I'm just going to call those French dudes because I, yeah, I can't remember the members of Air yeah, right now. Yeah, they got to be cut and checked. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, again, I think any criticism that you would make of, of um, Momentary Last of Reason in terms of the lyrics, you could kind of carry over to the Vision Bell maybe in a way. Although David Gilmour was writing with his girlfriend... On this record, Pan, yeah, uh, Polly Sampson. Boat. On his boat. On his boat. Yeah. On Astoria? Is that the name of his yeah, recording studio? Like, boat? His, yeah, his houseboat. But yeah, po- like Polly Sampson, who was a journalist. And I don't think they were married yet, but they were sort of on the way to being married. And she was the lyricist for a lot of his songs. And I know Roger Waters had a field day with oh, that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which it's sort of a spinal tap thing to have your girlfriend write lyrics for you. Like, I think like David St. Hubbins. When Nigel Tufnell leaves, oh yeah, absolutely. His it's, girlfriend it's a ends up right. You know, it's it's like a bit amongst classic rock. You know, and it's sort of, you know it's like an anti-woman thing too because sure. you don't want to have that. Like I read this Pink Floyd book last night. I was reading the the division the division bell chapter, and they were talking about how people on the crew didn't like David Gilmore's girlfriend Polly Sampson. Wow. In part because they blamed her for David Gilmore stopping coke. I guess he oh, did. Wow. I guess he was doing a lot of coke on the momentary lapse. Oh yeah, of he was doing lit. Yeah. yeah, and like I think he got a little heavy too. Like he was sort of, I mean, not like spiritually heavy, but he got oh, yeah. like physically Dude, him, heavy. Him he got a little out of shape. Pompeii compared to like division bills, like yikes. Yeah, he, he got like, like yeah, he got in shape. Yeah, and you could tell that okay, he's got a woman in his life. He's got some structure. He's not just sort of, you know, doing drugs all the time and sure. letting himself go. It's like you need that. Like, good for him. Yeah. But like the pe- like some people on the crew, I guess they were anti Polly Sampson because they blamed her for Gilmore basically getting his act together. 
Well, God bless. You know, I mean, and again, I think David Gilmore. I think it's his best tunes, you know, since Animals. If you ask me, yeah. And if you ask me, like, what my favorite thing about Pink Floyd is, is that their use of space in songs, like they're the best at writing slow songs. They're the best at taking their time within the song to like bring it back to a, a verse from a big bridge or whatever. And this record opens up with Cluster One. It's a fucking six-minute instrumental sweeping passage. David Gilmore ripping the neck pickup of his fucking Stratocaster. It's classic Floyd, man. Well, it's sort of like a Shine On You Crazy Diamond nod, Absolutely. I feel you know, like. And I, when I listen to this record again and again these last couple of weeks, what I'm really taken back by, what I didn't notice when I was listening to it as a teenager or a kid, very young, was that the, like, the lack of singing on it. There's just like so much jamming on it. It's yeah. like, a lot. There's some great vocals on there, but by and far, it's mostly just instrumental jamming, you know? Like Marooned, which is like exactly, a long instrumental, man. which it's, is pretty awesome instrumental. And I think, you know, them coming to this record, I think there was a, they were hyper-aware of how much they got shit on in the 80s and how much their audience got confused or lost. And, like, you know, people like my dad, Tom Walker... He, uh, you know, that sort of shit, he was gone by then. You know, he's just like, I'm John Cougar Mellencamp. I'm going to check that out instead, you know. <laughs> Let's get back to some rock and roll that, you know, has some nuts or whatever. But I think this was, you know, not a nostalgic record, but just like, hey, guys, that was weird. We were all uh, doing way too much speed, and, uh, you know, we had too much money and too many cooks in the kitchen. And, you know, so they brought back, you know, the classics. You know, they got the sax guy and the... What's the... Yeah, uh... Who's the guy who does all the art all the time? Why am I blanking it's right like now? Storm Thurgerson. Storm Thurgerson. Yes. You know, he's back on the beautiful album, which I think is iconic to my Who's a Strom Thurgerson? Strom Thurgerson. Is it, is it Storm or Strom? Storm or Throm? Strom. Strom. Strom? Thank you, Ryan Jewell. I'm glad we caught that. The I, world's number one Wookiee hippie drummer who knows everything about I, everything. I'd be pissed if this pod went up and we're like, fuck, we called it Storm. Oh, yeah, Twitter. We called call him, we didn't, like, I feel like, okay, we, we corrected it in the moment. Yeah, everybody on, hit, on Twitter already hates me. So They'd just be like, oh, those motherfuckers. They, oh, they're Pink Floyd fans. They call them Storm. Oh, yeah, exactly. But, you know, I think it's like a big sort of like recollection and like uh, just they're like centered again. It felt because... As great as I think Final Cut and you know, Momentary Last Reasons has its moments for me, I think they were just like centered again, kind of like at ease and like not going insane because the 80s are insane for all those fucking guys. Well, and there's a sense too that like they feel um, emboldened or confident enough to just sound like themselves in a way that they didn't really, as you say, since like Wish You Were Here. I feel like every album that they made after that was in some way trying to sort of reinvent how they sounded, even though there's always Pink Floyd elements. But like, you know, Animals was definitely like sort of an angrier, more aggressive record. I think the wall was puncher. Angry. It sounds somewhat angry. But like musically, I feel like it's definitely sort oh, it's of chilled out, yeah. It's and it's nodding to the past. I mean, one one of the things I was thinking of when I just revisiting the record in the last week or so is you know, I don't know if they knew or they felt that this was going to be the last record that they would do. I mean, I know they did the Endless River that came out a couple of years ago, but this is really like their last studio record. Yeah. I don't know if they sensed that or what, but like listening to it, it does feel like a self-conscious swan song in a lot of ways. Not just because of um, some of the things you mentioned. I think lyrically, 
a lot of lyrics are sort of like reflecting on the past and relationships and all that stuff. But even musically, you know, they're sort of like revisiting some like musical motifs that they've had in the past. Like, the, like you meant like the, like that first track. It, it's sort of reminiscent of Shine You Crazy it's like Diamond. Volume swells the whole time, and, and, and there's sort of like certain things with Gilmore's guitar solos that remind me of like other things that they've done. And the big background vocals, you know, with like yeah, like know, the like the female choral yeah, stuff, exactly. and you know. Maybe you could look at that cynically and say, oh, they're just sort of recycling what they had done. And, no way, man. But I feel like, in a way, it is a very sort of fitting last album. It's sort of like them saying, okay, we're, we're reflecting on our past. You know, we've come to peace with it, and we're, we're going to sort of celebrate who we are. This is like, you know, we've been through a lot. And the, the, the record, I think, is sort of looking for some sort of reconciliation with I mean, there's a lot of themes on that record about communication. And, and trying to get through to someone else. I don't know if, like... I mean, if you play Dime Store Psychologist, you could say, like, oh, they're, they're trying to work out their feelings of separation from Waters and maybe even Sid Barrett. Um, it does but but that, like a, that seems pretty apropos, like, for their journey. And, it does feel like a very, like, inspired death rattle of a band. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It definitely feels like they're all like, I can't, all right... Because, you know, Motel Lab's release was 87, so we're talking, you know, four or five years before it came out. So they're just sitting on their asses. It was seven years. Seven years. It was like yeah. 94. 94, you're right. And they're just sitting on their asses like, are we a band for five of those? You yeah. know, it's like the thing that I've been involved in since I was 19, is that still happening? Now we're old men with, you know. Well, I don't think Nick Mason gave a shit. I think he was just like racing cars. The yeah, whole he time. was way to Formula One at that I point. I mean, did yeah. he even play drums on a Pink Floyd record since, like, <laughs> uh, I mean, the animals, maybe I don't know. I feel like he maybe was in the studio, but see, like that fucker did not keep up with his craft. Oh his no, no, no. <laughs> And it's so funny because he had like the most ripping shit, like on Echoes. He did. And the only thing that like takes that... me out of Division Bell is the drum. The production choices on there are very like the drums are just like heavenly, you know. Whereas right. like, I like the drums just be like you know, like Bonzo and old school Nick Mason style. Right. It's just something that takes me out. Yeah, that live at Pompeii video. He's doing just crazy fills, and he's oh, got nothing better. And isn't he like? Sh- oh, he's not shirtless like Gilmore shirtless. That was so fucking cool. That's the coolest thing. But he's he has ever like had. the handlebar mustache. Yeah, he just looks like he just deals fake speed and beats people up. Or like, hey, what are you doing? You know. And then after that, I feel like at some point he decided, okay, I'm gonna just look like a suburban dad. And oh, I feel yeah, like absolutely. he decided that. Pretty early on, he's a narc now. Man. Like by the end of the '70s, even he was like, yeah. "I'm shaving off the mustache, I'm cutting my hair, I'm wearing tucked-in button-downs and uh, khakis." Oh yeah, he's got to. Yeah, he's got a big Pier One shopping date. You know? And I'm just yeah, I'm just gonna like race fucking race cars. Although he did produce like a, a damned record in the '70s too, so he kind of had like he did. That's right. What a like, weird career. What a weird career trajectory. <laughs> yeah, he's he's kind of a weirdo. So um, is. Is it pretty much a given that High Hopes is like the best song? That is an amazing closer. It's like, it's an amazing closer and amazing to decide to close with that song at, you know, technically the end of their career. Technically the end of them being a band. Right. And the real, it's the real end. We don't need to count the yeah. Endless River. The Endless River is just like outtakes I enjoy from... It. <laughs> it's good, but like it's just outtakes from the Division Yeah, battle. totally. It's just like them overdubbing some shit they left behind. It's not yeah. But yeah, I mean, they end on high hopes, and it's like just a total downer. And I gotta say, you know, I remember that record being part of my childhood. You know, I was five or six, and I remember holding the CD. I knew who Pink Floyd was because they were on radio all the time, and 
you know, my parents liked him a lot. And you know, I wasn't a big music fan or didn't know shit when I was six or whatever. But I remember that record being really big and my dad being like, oh yeah, Floyd, this is the band I listened to when I was a kid, man. I listened to this when I was like 15 years old and like it meant the world to me. And so I think, you know, the records like Momentary Lapse Reason and Final Cut and all the sort of fuck up solo records. And he kind of wrote that off or didn't pay attention to it at all. So this whole generation of fans in the 70s and like when they were the biggest thing in the world, when they were the biggest band of all time, they finally came back around to that. And it wasn't like, you know, they weren't trying to just sling units and be like, oh, hey, guys, like, we did this for you. It's like, I think it was a real genuine record and a real genuine effort. And I think David Gilmore, you know, Pink Floyd means the world to him, you know? Yeah. I think he's a real genuine guy. In every interview I've ever read of his or seen of his, he doesn't really come off as sort of pompous or anything like the sort of, maybe Roger Waters is a great guy, but that's sort of how it comes off in the narrative. Oh, yeah. In the history of Pink Floyd. He's the arrogant sort of, like, Fuck you, pay me, guy. Whereas <laughs> David Gilmore's just like, hey man, like you know, I just, I'm here for the tunes. This is what I'm meant to do. And I think that record is a real genuine effort. And I think he worked his ass off on it because that meant the world to him. And I think he knew how much it meant to people, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. Like how much that music meant to them. And he just kind of wanted to do this again and keep this thing going. And you know, they did. They toured their asses off on it, which became Pulse. And the live show is amazing. They're like on point. They open up with the Strymi Don't Mind. Like, this this record is for the fans, totally. You know, like, we love this. We love you. Right. It's a real genuine effort. And I think some of their... Honestly, I'm sure there's Floyd fans out there who just, like, want to kick me in the balls. But I think some of their best songs are on there. Like what? Like, like High Hopes, yeah. you know? Like, I mean, I, I was listening, you know, I've been listening to this album a ton, getting ready to talk to you. And I really feel like the guitar solo at the end of High Hopes is... I mean... Nothing is up there with like the comfort- comfortably numb guitar solos. Well, I mean, that's, is. that's that's it. But man, high hopes. Put that in the top five at least of like David Gilmore guitar solos. Just like awesome, just climactic thing. And it just builds so well to that. I mean, I feel like this record. Part of what I love about it, and again, I feel like I have to constantly qualify it with saying like I don't know if it has the substance of like the truly like top tier Pink Floyd records. But like, if you just love the sound of David Gilmore's guitar, it really is like one of the most enjoyable Pink he Floyd records. on there, man. And that's... that's it, it, it is like one of the most solo heavy records. If you're coming to Like, like Roger Floyd, Waters would never let him play that many not guitar at all. solos. Roger Waters would have like 90,000 children <laughs> chords and a synthesizer going through an oscillator. Or he'd be like whispering like, you know. Yeah. I yeah, mean, if you're, that whisper to, singing. if you're coming to Pink Floyd to hear the badass Gilmore solos, it's like, I'd say look no further than Division Bell, you know? It's just, they suffered from dinosaurism at that point, which is a shame, you know? Because, like, you know, they had all this great life experience. They know how to fucking rock. They know how to, like, make a huge record. And it's just, it was the wrong time, I guess. I mean, there's so many things. Oh, but they, I mean, this record was huge, though. I mean, this record... It did debut at number one, I guess. It was, I like, should. triple platinum. Yeah. And I know that you know I didn't go see the tour and I really regret it but like a lot of people at my high school like went to go see them I mean the thing with Floyd and you know I think this is also true of like Led Zeppelin and certainly the Beatles but like maybe Floyd above all other bands of that era just seems to translate so easily to like each generation absolutely and I don't know if it's just because of like the drug thing 
where it's like the rite of passage that if you're gonna get high for the first time, you put on like a Pink Floyd record and like sure. that becomes the thing. I mean, I think there's probably more to it than that. I mean, there's something about the sound of those records and certainly the themes of that Roger Waters was writing about that probably communicates to people when they're younger and feeling really alienated and and then just like the majesty of David Gilmore's guitar playing. Um, but it's just fascinating to me that like they continue to translate. Like if you go to any head shop now, oh, yeah, you still course. see Pink Floyd shit all over the place. Yeah. So it's like, okay, teenagers and college students are clearly still getting into this. Uh, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Because I mean, you were obviously in your 20s, so you were like well after the fact for a lot of this stuff, and you... You love Pink Floyd. I mean, like, Massive we're, fan, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know you're a big Genesis guy. I don't, know if, I don't know if, like, Genesis is your top classic rock band, but I feel like Pink Floyd's probably right after that, right? I mean, Genesis is way out there, but it's, like, for me, it's Floyd Zeppelin. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, Zeppelin, too. Um, if, you had, if you had to pick one, who would you take, Floyd or Zeppelin? Oh, man. I was thinking about this question last night for That's me. Uh, yeah, because I'm not into the Beatles or Stones because it's so clear the Beatles, you know. Oh, shit. It's going to be Zeppelin. No, it's Floyd, man. Honestly. I think it's Floyd for me, too, now. Floyd. In part, maybe because of... I feel like it's because of my age because if I'm going to just be hanging out on my patio drinking beer, Zeppelin, it's like I'm not, I don't rage enough to... And I still love Zeppelin. I still will... I will I will get the let out, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we're gonna I will still get the let out. But yeah, we're gonna have a rock block here. But um, Floyd, to me, I feel like uh, at this time in my life, it just resonates a little bit more, and I think in part because of the solo records. I think the story of Gilmore and Waters is so fascinating to me, and I just love going between like listening to About Face and then going to Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking. And just sort of imagining in my head, like, what would this sound like together? You know, and like Zeppelin doesn't, I mean, doesn't really have that. I mean, you have the Robert Plant and Jimmy Page solo stuff, but you can, I guess you can imagine, like, oh, what if it was, what if Robert Plant was on the Page Coverdale record or something? But it, it's not as interesting to me. Like, the, the story of Floyd and the dynamics of that band, I think, are yeah, endlessly fascinating to me. Again, what I find fascinating about Pink Floyd is that despite them being as big or bigger than Zeppelin, you know, they're both the biggest bands of all time, they're still, like, most people don't know a lot of their records. Yeah. Like, the vast majority, like, you know, if you go to any city in the world, people can name off all the Zeppelin records, all the Beatles records, a lot of the Stones records. There's, like, deep cuts of Floyd that, you know, most people don't know. There's, like... A decades of their entire career that people have never heard. Right. You know, there's like the early early stuff before metal, and then there's post the wall. There's even entire like, parts of their career that are just chopped off by, you know, the whole world. Even though they're the biggest band in the world, there's major, major deep cuts there. That's true. I mean, I feel like for most people, it's Dark Side, Wish You Were Here in the Wall. Yeah, I like, mean, even like every animals. Can name every Beatles record, or every Zeppelin right. record, like people would have a hard time naming every Floyd record. But like you said, like Animals was your favorite. Like an even Animals is like not really that known. That's the first one you diverge with, I think. You know, like yeah. you come up on classic rock, and you come up, you know, with Dark Side of the Moon, and Wish You Were Here, but then you eventually skip over to Animals. That's your first one out, 
And then you get yeah. to metal where you're like, oh shit, I know more than Pink Floyd fans, or I know more than my parents do listening to the radio or whatever, the shit I grew up on, you know? Like, they like Pink Floyd and Jackson Brown. I like Pink Floyd <laughs> and getting high and then be like, oh, 13th floor elevators are sick too, you know? Sick, very <laughs> right. cool too, you know? Right. But anyways, the Division Bell, I think it'll come around. I think it's this fascinating record that is just... It came out at a weird time. It got huge, but it's just been swept under the rug. It's been called a mistake just in some articles I've seen. Like, it's, yeah, you know, it got trashed critically. Maybe like you know the big ones like Rolling Stone, like oh, the unimpeachable Pink Floyd or whatever. I don't think anyone has ever written anything nice about the Division Bell. And, and Pink I, Floyd gets trashed critically. Like a lot of the records have been trashed. You know, whereas Zeppelin, everyone's like pretty perfect except for Into the Outer, which is a great record. Yeah, it is great. So, um, any other like standout tracks you would say that we haven't already talked about? I mean, like one song that I love that is like maybe the corniest song on the album, um, but I love corny songs sometimes. Is is "Take It Back"? It's a fucking anthem, man. Are you kidding me? Which is I know, but I've heard, I've heard even people that like the Division Bell shit on that song because it's obviously like them doing like a U2 type sounding song like yeah the guitar is like all like delayed and like right it's so anthemic like that is so like the delay is like a perfect millisecond on point on time you know like there's no way in hell like Roger Waters I really like that song I did too I was listening to it today again I thought it was beautiful and it's like a six minute song they keep it going they keep fucking rocking I really really love that song Take It Back Rules tell the kids to listen to Take It Back don't listen to the wall. Listen to take it back. <laughs> and like pulls apart. Pulls apart is beautiful. It's a beautiful I mean, what song. do you want from me? He's like big damn. With like, what do you want from me? And I just feel like, I guess that was supposedly inspired by Gilmore having a fight with with Polly Sampson. Uh, but I, I was interpreted. I, I feel like that's bullshit. I think that's him saying fuck you to Roger Waters. Yeah, fuck Roger. At that time, they were like just not friends, you know. Yeah. And they wouldn't. After this tour, they didn't get back together till Live 8 or whatever in 2005 in London. Well, I'd heard, like, according to this Pink Floyd book, that on this tour, they, were, they started doing Dark Side of the Moon from front to back, which at the time was like a pretty, like, bands didn't really do that kind of thing. And um, they invited Roger Waters to play with them, like in London. At, like, oh, he uh, denied? He said he's going to fucking do it? Yeah, like uh, what's the name? I can't remember the name of the of the venue, but like yeah, Roger Rogers would do it. The O2 Arena or whatever. Yeah, or it was, was the, I don't know, whatever, whatever, mate, <laughs> whatever. But like Roger Waters wouldn't do it. That w- that would have been like ninety four, ninety five, um, and then of course you know Roger Waters ended up you know playing that album in its entirety. Yeah, that's how he makes a living. There, yeah. yeah, and they kind of made up later on. I mean, now yeah, the past they hugged on stage at Live Aid. I saw it and. Yeah, Live 8, which, um, a shockingly good reunion performance in 2005. Setless could have been better for the heads, but they played what the, a billion people watched on TV wanted to hear. Well, I guess what happened was, I think Roger Waters, like, wanted to do more obscure songs, and, like, Gilmore was like, <laughs> fuck you, this is our band, we're letting you play with us, so he wrote the set list, and, Damn. and he just changed it to, yeah, like, Comfortably numb and money. Yeah, it's and just like let's go out there and play Lucifer Sam. You know, like, that'd have been an experience. <laughs> yeah, let's play. Um, you know, like what was that? Like uh, Southampton Dock or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, let's yeah. play that. Let's play. Let's play one of these days. That's my biggest contribution to this band. We'll, metal. We'll play. Uh, we'll play four Final Cut tracks. Absolutely. So are they calling you on? 
Uh, calling no, on the opening act? The opening act is going on. It's going to be a nice side of rock and roll. I just want to conclude this podcast by saying that uh, it's worth it, worth people's time out there to really dig into this record. I think it's absolutely fascinating. And kids don't know this record, man, so we're here for the kids. Yeah, we are. And yeah, listen to some off-brand Pink Floyd records. I mean, Off-brand, any icon legacy artist records are worth visiting it opens so many doors for me, and you know, Division Bell is one of them. And, and I think, and I think it is like you know, Dark Side of the Moon is a great album, but maybe you've heard that a million times, and it's sort of fun to hear the records that people tell you not to listen to. And I'll tell you, you this: know? all your friends, if you're in high school, when you go to college, they're gonna have Dark Side of the Moon posters, and they're all gonna get you high. But if you go to a dorm room and you see a Division Bell poster, that's your true friend right there. And I've seen uh, Justin Bieber wearing. Uh, Division Bell t-shirts. We're coming back, baby. It's it's the new gen, man. I I I hope for the kids. He's going to lead the millennial or Generation Z revolution for Division Bell. Wow. I can't wait for that. All right, man. Well, thanks again for your hospitality. I think we should drink some more beers here and uh, shut it off. Yeah, we got drink tickets, baby. All right, man. All right, so that was me and Riley Walker getting into it about the Division Bell. I think we've changed some minds. I don't know. At the very least, I think... People will be queuing up that record on Spotify after listening to this episode. And maybe you'll hear it and you'll be tearing your hair out that I said in this episode that this record is better than any Pink Floyd record pre-metal. I'm pretty sure I said that. That might have been the whiskey talking. You know, Piper at the Gates of Dawn, you probably have to put above the the Division Bell. But the rest of them, I'm going to stand behind it. I would rather listen to the Division Bell than Adam Hart Mother or Obscured by Clouds, or any other ones. But if you disagree, go on Twitter, find us there. We're at Cellar Rock Pod. Let me know what you think of this episode, what you think of the podcast in general. When you guys talk about us on social media, that always helps the podcast. It drives traffic to us. So I know a lot of you already do that. You get on Twitter, you talk about the episode, you talk about whether you liked it or whether you didn't like it, and that gets other people curious about it. And I really appreciate that. I appreciate you all. For your support. I say this every week, but it's true. We would not have a podcast if not for you. So thank you so much. Also got to thank the man who makes it happen, Derek Madden. Thank you, Derek. Got to thank Josh Copperman for writing our theme song. Thank you, Josh. We will see you guys again next week. On the Westwood One Podcast Network. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.